Hey everybody, welcome to the GMB Fitness Show. I'm real happy to have uh, Dr. Mark Cheng here. Hey Mark. Good morning, how are you? Good. Um, I'm really good. I'm happy that we got time out of your schedule to talk with me. And uh, a little bit about Mark Cheng, Dr. Mark Cheng, acupuncturist, strong first instructor, FMS, SFMA, uh, just all of these great things. And then my favorite over there with Guru Dan at IMA and martial arts, our shared passion, our shared passion. We've had a lot of uh, mutual friends and unfortunately haven't been had a chance to meet each other in real life. Had a couple of opportunities, but our schedules are just, it's too much, I think, sometimes. Constantly. Yeah, constantly. Always running around uh, families, work responsibilities, you know, seminars, all these things. But I'm, I'm really happy to have him on on our show right now. Uh, Mark, give us a little bit of a background of, of your recent stuff. What's been happening over the last year or two for you? Wow. Recent stuff is uh, really just trying to rework my life. I think a lot of, a lot of what I'm, I've been doing lately is, is focusing on making my work revolve around my life rather than letting my life revolve around my work. So that trying to make that change has been challenging. But it's it's been it's been enlightening too. There's been it's been a lot of there there have been a lot of aha moments. Yeah, man, I've been following you for for quite a while. I mean, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, with the uh, kettlebell stuff, like for years, for years with uh, Pavel. Yes. Right, and uh, working with him, and then Dan John, all of these guys, then uh, Gray Cook, who is you know one of my idols. What he's done for uh, my profession is just amazing. Right, working with all of these different people, and martial arts wise, Guru Dan, all of your different instructors in the, in various styles, and I, you keep yourself so busy. And I was gonna, I was asking about that. I really like when you post things because your your heart's on your sleeve. I mean, you just kind of let it out there, and and it, it lets people feel real connected to you. But you know, a lot of the time, these times, it just. I feel your stress coming out through the <laughs> through the post. And I'm like, wow, man. I mean, how are you? How are you keeping this up? I think it's you know I, I got cautioned about that a lot. Uh, you know, uh, when I started uh, participating in social media, I had a lot of people telling me straight up, like, look, man, you you know you can't wear your heart on your sleeve. You can't do this. Um, you can't do that. You got to post you know only stuff that's that's uplifting and this that, and the other. And I thought, man, how disingenuous is that? You know, like we've all got our stresses, we've all got our, um, we've all got our challenges. And sometimes it's like it's it's good for people to see you bleed. You know, like it's good for people it's good for people to see you struggle and and hurt because they know that they're not alone. I mean, like I can't tell you how many times on social media the ones the the posts that seem to be most engaging aren't necessarily the ones that, that are like the cheerleader posts, but they're the ones where people see that I'm, you know, um, struggling to just get my stuff done. I'm struggling to have enough energy to make it through the day. I'm struggling to keep up with my kids. I, I had to miss training or, you know, like I, you know, whatever I'm, you know, having static with, with my wife or whatever. I mean, it's just all of these little things where people can see that there are, there are challenges and those challenges are universal, but there are ways that we can deal with those challenges that are going to be, um, higher yield. Yeah, right. And I think it's real. I mean, we hear all these things about uh, what was that story about this Instagram model? You know, that Instagram model who who just had a breakdown. She she showed like all these different pictures of her where she wasn't made up, and she she was like, "This is the real thing, right?" She was making how many thousands of dollars as being sponsored and all that, and then she busted out with this Instagram like it's all fake, right? Because it's 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 hard because. Every, every person out there is trying to do their best, right? Whether it's like with their fitness, with their health, their work, their family. And then they see all these examples of everybody just being perfect, right? Everybody, everything is just happening so perfectly for these other people. And how can you not feel down by that? And so, yeah, being real like you are and, and, and showing your struggles and showing your successes and just having your heart out there, I think is, is, is the way to go, man. You know, it's interesting. Daisy Ridley, um, the actress from Star Wars, um, recently made a post saying uh, something along the lines of, of that same sort of thing where she just said straight up, like, here's some of my faults. Here are some of the problems. Here are the things that you guys think you see, but here's the reality. And and those are the things, those kinds of admissions, um, those kinds of, of 
touches of reality uh, really just I think they endear people to you, and then they also they also garner a certain amount of respect. You know, like oh, you're so real that you're not afraid to show that this is this is a challenge or this is an issue. Um, and I think with fitness, especially in the world that you and I both roll in, as far as both both as clinicians, but both as performance coaches, there's um, a lot of hype. There are a lot of people that want to say that this is the best way of doing this, or this is the you know this is this is it. When really we're as human beings coming to the coming to fitness or coming to rehab or coming to whatever uh, movement is with a different background. Like some of us have a particular way that our fascia is wound or taught or our skeletons have been developed, whether due to injury, whether due to training, whether due to whatever the issue might be. I mean, we come, we come to movement or we come to these pursuits as individuals. So, you know, to measure who you are, to, to measure, to measure your performance, to, de- to measure your worth based on someone's arbitrary standard, right. uh, you know, that needs to change. And, it, and it's interesting to talk about, you know, fitness and where we are positioned. And and it's funny because we, like you were saying earlier, we were talking earlier, like, oh, it seems like I kind of lucked into it. Well, I mean, it's just the way life is. Sometimes you're in the right place and sometimes you're not. And sometimes you meet the, the people that will move you forward, right? And, and with that and with, like... Just to say it, I mean, our popularity, I mean, we're out there, we're, we're putting ourselves out there, we have videos, we make products, we have clients, and we share stories. Um, people f- have, are looking up to us because they're looking for information, they're looking for role models and all of that, and, and we have to be. I mean, we have a responsibility to these people, and it's, it's a big responsibility. I always thought being a teacher, being an instructor, being a coach... You know, being a therapist and a clinician is a huge responsibility. Yes, and it's and it can be really draining. And 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 yes. to, to put it <laughs> on that other right, and Absolutely. to put it on uh, on in another context for you, in, if if we you would go back to that social media thing, if we always feel like we have to be perfect and show only the perfect thing, man, that's got to personally be draining as well, right? So to just, to the person putting it out there. You know, I, I just don't see why we have to have to portray a kind of perfectness. I think it's 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 important for people to see that we struggle, that we have that we have conflicts, that we have things that that bother and hurt us. But I think the the the, the big responsibility of leadership is to show that not only do we have these same problems that everyone else does, but how we choose to deal with them um, is unique is powerful is inspiring is on the up and up those are the those are the things that i think really you know like you said as as people who who've been who've been fortunate enough to be in in positions of leadership or positions of notoriety that are going to continue to set us apart right and and totally i mean with leadership my friend andy my business partner and friend he always says leaders you know you don't get you get chosen by other people to be a leader based on what you do. It's not like, oh, you follow this path and you go step by step and like, oh, now I'm a leader. For, for a lot of people, and I know same with me, I never really thought of myself that way, but you get thrust in it and you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and then now I have this thing attached to me, but now I have a greater sense of responsibility to it too, even. I mean, the best leaders have this serious sense of responsibility and the, and, and the worst leaders don't. And it's really obvious to see that. I mean, we have that, we can see that politically right now, not to get into it, but there's people out there in these positions of leadership and they feel very little responsibility, in my opinion. And you can see it. You can totally see it. Yes. So let's get away from that a little bit. I think that was a little bit of a tangent, but I I liked it. I mean, it's it's, uh, for all the listeners out there, it's, it's, it's what we're dealing with, and it's what you're dealing with too. I mean, there's people. It's not like their uh, their Instagrams are like ten thousand followers, or their Facebook, you know, or have to get their business page set up and all that. But we're, the way you present yourself to others, and the way you, it really relates back into how you live your life, and what Mark was talking about with how are you going to let work uh, life revolve around your work, or are you going to let your work kind of work for you? Like what what how can you do your best to to do your best 
right? You can't force yourself to be the best all the time every day because that's just that's a that's a losing proposition. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And so that uh, I want to talk a little bit more about that with you. And like you've been on the healing path for a long time, you know, acupuncture. How long you've been an acupuncturist now? Um, I think I got licensed in either 04 or 05. I want to say 04 for some reason. but And before that, you were doing a lot with the, the FMS stuff, right? And the no, the no? FMS stuff actually came afterwards. So here's oh, the story. really? Interesting. Here's the story of how that works. Um, I'd, I'd, been into, I'd been into martial arts, you know, at, in some form or another for the majority of my life. And then, you know, I, I, after I graduated college and started work doing work in the corporate world, I was just miserable out of my mind. And I said, you know, like I can't, I'm, I'm putting on weight. I'm not feeling good. I'm not doing the stuff I love. Like it, it just, you know, uh, having a check to cash is dope, but like, I'm I'm freaking miserable. I can't, I, I just can't deal with this. So I, I figured, all right, what do I really love? What makes me happy? What has never let me down? And the only answer I could come up with is martial arts. Um, so I figured, okay, I'm, what, what's going to allow me to participate in martial arts or some facet of martial arts on a professional level that will educate me, will inspire me, will allow me to help other people? Okay, well, Chinese medicine, which is like part and parcel. If you're, if you're in traditional Chinese martial arts, it's pretty much an expectation that at the senior levels, you're expected or more advanced levels, you have some understanding or some working knowledge of, of traumatology of Chinese medicine. So I figured why not just, you know, why not just formalize my education in that? Um, I got my, um, I, I finished my master's and, and sat for the boards and got my acupuncture licensure here in California. Um, opened up my practice. And then not that long afterwards, uh, I was introduced to, um, Pac Victor de Tours, who then in turn introduced me to, he goes, I have a student that would benefit from you very much. And I go, I'd be glad to help whoever, sir. Um, and he goes, uh, you might know of him. He's, uh, Ustad Dan Santo. And I go, Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I got to, treat guru as a, as a, as a patient first, um, for a, a couple of years. Um, and while I was, while he was under my care, uh, he, he said that, you know, doc, I got this, I got this, I got a favor to ask of you. I go, sure. One of my patients bought these, um, training sessions for me with this weightlifting coach, this Russian weightlifting coach. But now that my back is feeling better, like I, I, I'm kind of worried. Would you mind coming to these sessions? Just like in case he's going to have me doing something crazy, you know, you can, as the doctor just overrule, or if I get hurt, you can put me back together. Eh, sure. So that Russian weightlifting coach was Pavel Tsitsulin. Wow. Wow. I have not heard this story. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so I, you know, Pavel, you know, I, I recognized him on site cause I'd seen him in his ads in the magazine. I was like, ah, okay. Um, and so, I'm sitting there observing on the sidelines and like, I'm listening for, for what Pavel's saying. I'm listening for any red lights that are going off in my head. And the more Pavel's presenting to Guru, the more exercises that Pavel was having Guru go through, the more I thought this stuff is really good from a clinical, like from a clinical standpoint, not just strength training, but just like, how would you get people to feel better because of the dysfunctions that happen in their body? I thought this is genius. Why the hell wasn't I taught this stuff? You know, as a clinician, I thought this was that valu- valuable. So the more I listened and the more I learned, um, the more I was just like, my, my eyebrows were like lifted. I was like, wow, this is pretty dope. So I think that was the Wednesday morning group. So what happened was Pavel would have a, I'm sorry, Guru would have a private lesson with Pavel. And then at the time he was have, he would have private lessons immediately following with Professor Roy Harris. Jiu-Jitsu Professor Roy Harris, or Illustrissimo Professor Roy Harris. And so Professor Harris um, eventually started joining in on those training sessions. So it was Pavel, Guru, and Professor Harris. And then I can't remember what happened. One morning, um, they were like, oh, Doc, are you joining in? And I'm like, uh, one of these days. And so I, I, I can't, can't remember whether it was Pavel or Professor Harris or someone was like, Oh, so are you going to man up today? And I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, now I got to jump in. <laughs> The, the immediately the feeling the improvements in chronic pain areas in my body, specifically my shoulder and my lower back was just dramatic. Um, and so, you know, a couple of years later, I, I went through the RKC. 
um, started in April of 06. And then uh, I, I, later that year, the, the following year, Pavel calls me up and he goes, Duck, what are you doing? Uh, nothing, sir. So when he calls up, I'm like, whatever he wants, I'm going to clear my schedule. Uh, very good. I will pick you up at so-and-so time. And when we drive down to um, this stadium in Carson, uh, which I think now is StubHub, back then it was called the Home Depot Center. Um, and then underneath they had an athlete's performance, which is now Exos. Um, and he goes, I would like you to meet this gentleman, hear what he has to say, and then on the drive back, tell me what you think. Um, that dude was Gray Cook. I, you know, Gray ran me and Pavel through the screen. The screen found certain liabilities in my movement, um, as well as teased out a little bit of stuff from Pavel as well. And I was, as I was listening to Gray speak, I was just like, dude, this is, this is a, also another thing that should have been part and parcel of every clinician's education. I mean, why isn't this, you know, looking at movement patterns rather than it hurts here, so we'll treat here? You know, like that, that, that regional interdependence mindset I thought was just, it was just mind blowing. So from that moment on, I was like, I gotta, I gotta hear more as, more as much as I can from this guy. I love that. I mean, it's sort of like you just kind of stumbled in, totally. <laughs> stumbled into everything, right? I mean, you had, you're a clinician then oh, wow, there's Guru Dan. Okay. <laughs> you're Pavel. And wow, there's great cook. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> dude, like my life is just a series of one of those insanely lucky like uh you know well i think also it uh, and and saying luck i mean yeah there's a certain amount of randomness in there but i think you put yourself in that position too i mean you were in a in a place you didn't like so you found a way to get out of it right you were you were in this corporate world and then you're like you know what I, i need to get out of this and and so that was your choice that was your decision you know, and then you became a clinician and it became a good enough one where someone you respected felt like he could recommend someone else he respected. And then that same thing. I mean, it's not as much as, well, we make our own luck. But I think you put yourself, we put ourselves in the position, right? If you didn't make that choice, if you would have just said, oh, a paycheck is fine, right? You would have got fat. You, you would have probably been out of martial arts. We wouldn't be talking today, right? <laughs> I think I think it's just the way it is. I mean, we talk about it all the time with the, with our clients, it's like like oh, if I didn't if I didn't pick up that thing the wrong way, I'd be fine. I was like, well, there's a lot of things that came up to that point, right? right. You know, yes. or even something like a slip and a fall, like oh man. I mean, I remember I just being. I mean, you, you hear you hear all these stories. It's just crazy. She's like, "Oh, I was drinking a little too much by the pool, <laughs> all right." And then I broke my arm, and now I'm like, she had this ridiculous compound fracture, and she's like out Oof. for six months. And I'm like, "Well, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have been drinking, but it was a party. I mean, you're having fun, you work hard, and you do your thing, and then it just happens. Sometimes it just happens." So I think we, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I really like that you're humble and you say, "Oh, I'm lucky," but I think you put yourself in a, in this position. Really, I do. I think, and and all of these things, and you're out there, and you're showing that you you're doing these things to help people, right? You have Tai Cheng, you have these products, prehab, one one, all of these things. You're using your position in a in a really helpful way, and that's what I really respect. That's been something that that I'm still, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say conflicted, but it's still taking a while to to swallow that 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 idea that I'm in a particular position. Yeah, I mean, like whether it's Tai Cheng or whether it's Prehab Rehab 101 or whether it's um, anything else that I'm involved with, like uh, you know K3 Combat Movement, whatever it is, it, everything that I'm that I'm that I'm part of now is is it, it's like this is stuff that I'm doing for pay that I would gladly have paid to do. The fact that I get to train with Guru Dan or treat Guru Dan or to to or any of my patients, I mean, like the fact that I get to spend the time that I do with them. Or right now, one of my areas of investigation is actually very traditional Aikido with um, Matsuoka Haruo-sensei, um, the former number one of Steven Seagal. Um, you know, his his Aikido is very different. You know, it's it's got two extremes of, of influence, you know, like that that very internal stuff that, he, that he's got now um, from um, Abe Seiseki-sensei and then some of the other um, teachers that he's been training with recently. And then also that very, like, rough Aikido from Seagal. Um, so it's, it's very, it's, 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 it's so insightful. 
Yeah, that's another thing I like is that you're out there and you're seeking different instructors. And you have, I mean, you could very easily just be with Guru Dan. And then you spend years, years just working off one thing he says, right? I, I mean, I've seen it. You, we go to it and you're like, oh, he just throws all, all these things. And some of the things he says in passing, you're just like, whoa, what was that? Right? And that, then he moves exactly. on to the next thing, exactly. right? Exactly, exactly. Right? But I, I just love it because you, you have, we have a chance to explore. There's just so many different things. And then I, I, I love following you because you have these different resources and you, and you make the time and you, and you really work to, to see what you can get out of it. And with all of these different teachers, and, and it can be really hard to, uh, like you said, there's even distinctions within that Aikido, right? Mm-hmm. You yes. can't just say Aikido, right? It's, it's who that, who your teacher is who he learned from, right? And the little aspects of maybe it maybe even that time period that you learn from a certain person is mm-hmm. different than if another student was during a different time period, right? That's very important for people to realize. Like I think a lot of people will look at something like Tai Chi or karate or Kali and go like, oh that's just sticks or oh that's just and that there's just phrase means that you're trying to pigeonhole something that's way broader than that. Right. Right. Yeah. So for people that either are just starting in martial arts or are, are clients that are kind of interested, but, oh, maybe it's not for them. So what are the commonalities and the big lessons that you can share with us from, from these different teachers? It, and it's hard. And we talked about this before. We don't have like the six to 10 hours a day that maybe we'd love to spend on one thing and spend on the other. You know, what are the big picture things that you think uh, most people should be able to, to, to benefit from? Um, for the people that aren't already martial artists, like people that aren't already involved in martial arts, I think one of the, the things that's super important to understand is that even within a particular style or in a particular system or even in a particular lineage, quality will vary and personalities will vary. So you need to actually shop around. I mean, think about think about. F- finding a martial arts instructor or finding a martial arts club or a group that you can learn from in a lot of the same way as if if you're looking for a spouse, you know, you need to, there are times when you're going to have to date around. There are times when you're going to have to break up. Um, and I think the best relationships are ones where you have the, have enough freedom to go and open your eyes and look around and see and realize that, the, you're not you're not threatened. The person that you're with is not threatened. Like Guru Inasano, uh, while he, he himself is an encyclopedia and he says stuff all the time that like like you said, his off the cuff remarks are enough to write a book on. Um, never mind like the meat of what he's pre- presenting in a, in a workshop, but he's always encouraging us to go and explore facets of what he's saying with other in other subject matter experts who know that particular facet really well. Like I'm someone that came into the Inasano Academy with already a background in throwing. Like I, my, my background is Suijiao, Chinese wrestling. So that like of all the, of all the techniques that are available to us as uh, martial artists, like throw, based lock based stuff has always kind of resonated with me. And so, you know, he's encouraged and also with my background in Tai Chi soft arts. So he, you know, when I see him training Sistema or when I see him training Aikido with Matsuoka sensei, it's like, and he goes, doc, come and train with us, come and join in the session. It's like, uh, okay, yeah, I'm in, I'm totally in. <laughs> right. You know, there are other things that, that may not resonate with me. And like he said too, that's okay. But the things that that do resonate with you, don't be afraid to explore more about more of that. And and for the people that that are new to martial arts or or don't have that background in martial arts, understand that what you may, what you might have geographically available may not be the stuff that resonates with you the best. Um, don't be afraid to drive a little bit. Don't be afraid to carve out the time because the the levels of reward that are there waiting for you when you do find something that you dig when you do find something that resonates with you there i i cannot put it to words how rich that experience is going to be for you i mean of all of the things that i've ever had access to in my life there's nothing that's paid me more dividends there's nothing that's made me happier that's not there's nothing that's opened more doors to me there's nothing that's introduced me to great people like you um than martial arts nothing yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, the passion for it. And 
And for me, yeah, I started when I was 12. I did all these different things, you know, community school, karate, right? And then boxing and then Wing Chun and then all these things. And it just kept rolling, right? I kind of, you, your parents put you in this thing, right? For me, it was my parents put me in this thing. I was like, okay, I'll go. And it just became my thing. And it just kept on going. I, I always say this thing, like we we're talking with a friend a couple of years ago. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just met this guy from high friend from high school and wow it's funny he's interested in the same thing it's just, it's just the same thing he's been interested in the same thing i'm like and he he said that was a in kind of a joking way i'm like hmm dude that's me man i've been doing the same two things for like 35 years so i kind of relate to that guy i mean you just when you find your passion and whether it's martial arts whether it's fitness whether it's bowling i don't know whether it's whatever it is when you find it you got to hold on to it you know, I really believe that you got to hold on to it and, and it becomes your anchor and it becomes your anchor through a lot of your life. I really believe that whatever it is and 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 you have to make it and you have to do it in a way that's that keeps you going. Right. There, there's too many people uh, in their nine to five jobs where they hate it and they only do it because they need some money or there's some circumstances and they're slowly there. And I hear it all the time. I hear it from my patients. They they're they're dying in it they're they're dying in it and whatever passion they had is either gone or they they forgot about it and it's sad it's really sad you have to once you find your thing and and uh you just gotta hold on to it i really believe that i concur yeah and for martial arts it's funny because it's like oh it's fighting and it's and it's uh you know it's brutal and and all these things and and you get that from from even the way certain martial artists present it. They're like, oh, warriors and, and like all these things. And they're wearing like five knives and, you know, all these. And I like it too. I, I have two knives on me right now, right? But it, it's just much more than that. And I was talking to uh, my teacher Burton about it too. It's cultural for me, Filipino martial arts especially, right? And I didn't actually, I didn't get into that until like a few years. I was around 15 or 16. I was lucky enough. We were in the Philippines for, for a month. And I had a crash course for four days. I did four hours a day for four or five days in Bacolod. Wow. And, yeah. And I had no idea. My, I told my mom, I was like, oh, I want to learn a little bit of the, the sticks. So they found this guy. And it was Grandmaster Domodedor Ferrer, who had no idea back then who he was. But apparently he was second in this Lapu-Lapu Arnis system. And I... Years later, years later, I found out, I was like, wow, okay, it's <laughs> this rare system with, uh, and I was like, wow. And it was just amazing. It was just like lucking out into it. But um, for me, it was the culture. Part of it was like, oh, I, I should learn this. And then I was kind of get steeped in it. And I was like, wow, this become my, this is my favorite thing now. And it's beyond fighting. It's beyond all that. It's just, it's just part of, part of uh, who I am now. For us, as as for us as people who get to practice the the arts that that are are of our you know ethnic heritage, that's a particular kind of uh, I don't know richness. I mean that's that's so awesome. But I think also too for people that don't necessarily come from a particular li- uh, ethnicity or lineage or tribe, you know, like for me as an as a, as an ethnic Chinese who gets to gets the chance to spend time training Filipino martial arts and you know forging relationships with with so many super skilled filipinos um japanese martial arts whatever it is i mean i i i think martial arts is a vehicle also too for us to understand that no matter where you come from we all deal with combat we all deal with moving someone else's human body we all deal with trying to protect ourselves we all deal with trying to improve how how we move our athleticism our available ranges of movement um, how do you do this? You know? And so I think that's, that's one of the coolest things as I get older, the, one of the things I see most in martial arts is, isn't so much the, the, the little differences that, that make people get all sectarian and stuff like that, but really where are the commonalities and, and seeing those commonalities is in some ways really cool and inspiring. Like to see, Guru Dan looking at different locks from Aikido, right? And and looking at it and going like, oh, you know, I learned a lock like this from, uh, you know, 
Manon Lacoste, would you know look uh, his his Kali teacher. So, you know, I look at things like that and go, wow, you know, there's really only so many ways that the human body functions in terms of high percentage um, or high likelihood. And so to see how how different training methods capitalize on that has been really cool. Right. They're all going to kind of sort out and filter over the years what, what's going to be the most efficient, right? And what, and, it, and then at that point, it becomes, you know, little distinctions in how you teach it or how you present it, right? And, and how you lot, customize it. Right. Too, how you, that's exactly it, how you customize it for your own body type. Right. Filipinos on the most part are smaller people, right? So it's not, it's going to be a lot different than working on some, uh, big Mongolian. Unless you're, unless you're Dave Bautista. So, right. I mean, it's so funny, but especially with that kind of stuff, you're like, that guy is Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and then that goes back to, you know, there's a lot of recent talk about evolutionary biology and right. What's primal and what's paleo and all these things. And, and, and people are wanting to, to ascribe something to that. And I think the, the, the best concept to ascribe to that is that we were meant, uh, we weren't meant to just sit around, you know, we're supposed to move around. We're supposed to do different things with our bodies. And, and if we can't do that, then that's when a whole host of problems comes on, not just physical, but I think even psychological. The, um, adaptability of the human animal, I think is something that is super important. And it's, it's something that like the importance of that didn't really strike me until training at the Inasano Academy. Like Guru will purposely teach fast, I think in some ways to see how quickly you adapt, how, how much can you, like, it's not how many details can you absorb, but can you adapt from one drill to the next, even if you don't necessarily know what he's doing? Like there've been days when I've seen, uh, you know, even the seniors like Guru Joel, like go, I don't know what he's doing today. (laughs) Um, and so that, and, but the, the fact that they can flow, the fact that they can adapt, um, and still make it either look or function well, that, that speaks volumes to me or that spoke volumes to me. So I think whether it's our nutrition or, or, or even our movement, we're not geared towards, well, let me rephrase that. While we can certainly survive in a limited environment, let's say with limited types of nutrients or limited types of movements available to us, we won't necessarily thrive that way. So to say that our skeletons are all going to be a certain way or say that the certain ethnicity, like the skeletal structure of a certain ethnicity is going to be a certain way, there may be genetic predisposition, but we all know that the skeleton molds itself based on imposed demands. So if you took a Scottish kid, if you took a a Kenyan kid, if you took a a Mexican kid, if you took a, if you took a a Pinoy kid and, and then raised them all from infancy to adulthood in identical environments in an identical environment with the same things to eat same kinds of movement available to them then it'd be really interesting to see what their skeletons come out as um but i think there's too much there, there are too many um variables to consider when you start talking about how skeletons express themselves uh because you, you know how are how are we going to talk or how are we going to rule out that that whole cultural variable of of like you know certain people will sit on a floor certain people sit in a chair certain people will never squat in their adult lives past you know butt to knees you know so i think there's a lot to be said for for ruling out the cultural variables or being aware because some things you'll never be able to rule out but i think there's an awareness that needs to happen when it comes to the cultural variables yeah, and I, I like what you said about that. I mean, in terms of limited environments, like if you if you talk about culture, you, you can talk about different things where um, you're like, oh, I'm I'm just going to do this because I'm from this way, right? Because I'm this is the way it's been done, right? So in that way, in that respect, culture can be limiting. Yes, right. But if you look at it from a different respect where we're coming on and, and because we live in this, this global world now, right? Not just internet, which is just you exposes you to different things, but people are just from all over the place are, are getting together. I mean, America and even different countries, the, the homogenization is just not there anymore. I mean, you have to be in a really out of the way place, far away place. That's beyond most of what people here are listening to 
I mean, we should be able to walk out that door and, and see different kinds of people. So that, in that respect, culture now becomes more free. You you are able to see different different aspects of different people and expose yourself to that. And so you're not limited. Uh, and so that's what you know. Why I love talking about martial arts and all these different things is you have that that window into some different cultures just by itself, right? And you can immerse yourself into that, and and people become less other when you can when you can see that. That's perfectly stated. Right. People become less other when you can right. see that. And, and that goes to a lot of different things. I mean, we've been involved in martial arts and fitness and, and therapy, right, and clinicians for years now, and the controversies there are just ridiculous. I mean, everybody's talking about, and you said it earlier, like, this is the best thing, right? This is optimal. And, and every time I see that, I'm like, wow, okay, uh, you really got the, you got the answer. And, like, that must, be, that must feel really good to have, <laughs> to have the one answer. I mean, it's more it's more myopic than I think most people realize. I mean, Gray had the best phrase ever when he said it's like flea, like a bunch of fleas arguing about who owns the dog. Right, right. I mean, it's just so individual and variable. It, there's so many things to consider, and, and 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 it's like you were saying, you could do this this, and the, and that's my trouble with a lot of the evidence based stuff. And you know, I'm not going to say I'm anti science because that's ridiculous. How can you be anti science? But in some respects. And I remember a few years ago, or more than a few years ago, they were doing these clinical prediction rule thing. You know, everybody's making a clinical prediction rule for, like, uh, for example, the one for low back pain is, uh, you know, less than three months, uh, no pain below the knee or shooting pain, you know, some, some of these things. And then, okay, go ahead and you can just manipulate their back. Boom, you're done, right? Yeah. And, just like- <laughs> right? And, and, and on the face of it, you're like, okay, I mean, they've done the studies and, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. You're just going to do your million dollar roll and then give them a couple exercises and they're fine. But look at what you've done there. You've, in, uh, you've eliminated a whole portion of, of critical thinking. And I think you can't argue that, you know, evidence-based work gives you these algorithms and then just obviates the need for critical thinking. I think uh, the you, biggest problem with ev- with a lot of what sci- what is written up as written up as science or written off as science is is that people aren't admitting all of the confirmation bias that is that's that's inherent in it. Like we're looking for da- data that that we can somehow either manipulate or overtly um, reinforces our 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 natural uh, what's the word I'm looking for predisposition our existing idea so i think a lot of people are are you can make like brett jones said it well you can make arguments either way on almost any given point it just depends on the context so i think there that we do try as a species to oversimplify stuff we do try to to make thing make these blanket statements um to sound authoritative um and and i think unfortunately we do a real disservice um, to not only humanity, but also to our profession. Every damn time we do that, um, we need to we need to be a little bit more humble. We need to be a little bit more open minded and realize that, that context rules the road. How would you uh, suggest to your clients and to to our listeners here? Like, how do you sort through that? I mean, there's just so much information out there. Like, we're we're presenting one thing. Right, Mark, you're presenting another thing. Some of our friends are presenting this. Then you have these other people that maybe it's the complete opposite. And it sounds okay. It sounds good. They got some testimonials. They got some, like what, and it's super hard. I have a hard time too. I mean, looking at everything critically is just, it can be exhausting. What What are some of your methods and, and strategies for for dealing with that? Um, poof. Yeah, I I think, you know, uh, to be honest, I I think people aren't going to like my answer. And this is the one that I've said for a long time. But uh, I think Bruce Lee said it best when he said, don't think, feel Um, you if you don't feel the result or you don't feel an improvement or you can't you can't. That's not science, Mark. Yeah, exactly. So, I, (laughs) I, you know, people want to think and want to want to rationalize. But it's Mm -hmm. like if you don't feel better and there's less resistance internally. I mean, because people are going to look for what they can measure and measurable is great, but let's say you flex to, you, you know, you bend at the hips 90 degrees 
And okay, you're able to get there with some effort and maybe a little bit of discomfort. And then you can get there the next time and, and measurably it doesn't look any different, but you just feel less resistance. Maybe the pain is the same even, but there's less internal resistance. You know, these are things that I don't think we're that good at measuring that well yet. You know, like and, and science needs to do a better job of honoring the subjective. I know that's going to piss off a lot of people and, and people will, will say like, oh, but you can measure that on reported results and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no. I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that, that uh, it's just like the active ingredients in herbs. People go, oh, what's the active ingredient? Dude, like think about all of the stuff that we, that science hasn't identified as an active ingredient that uh, Maybe a secondary ingredient, but it's 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 got a special synergy with something else right. that's in that same kind of formula. Yeah, that's right. So, like you should yeah. maybe you should eat that whole plant instead of trying to take that garlic pill, right? That kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Right. And and it's the, the totality. Well, then you know, and I agree with you. I mean, I for a long time, you know, I took I took my measurements, I did the checklist, and I, and I was just like, I, I got to do it for insurance, whatever. But my main thing was. Are you, is this patient moving better? Is she, is she telling me, you know what? I did this thing. I walked from, and this was funny, we were in, when I was in Hawaii, in Alamoana Mall, she's like, I walked from Sears to Macy's in one trip. I didn't have to sit down on the bench. And I was like, that's huge. That's huge. That is massive. And that, that's what I want. So, and, and I know this is a really difficult question, but I, I, I want, I want to hear more from you. It's like, so with the feeling, then it, is it all trial and error? Is there anything that we can kind of go into something with, with a little bit more of a, a way to ferret things down? I'm not entirely sure I understand the question, but I'll, I'll try and answer it like this. We've been given, like, you know, through different bodies of knowledge, whether it's, you know, FMS correctives, whether it's DNS, whether it's acupuncture, whether it's HELOT, whether it's... Um, Cairo, whether it's osteopathy, whether it's, you know, PT doesn't, I mean, every body of knowledge exists for a particular reason. And because it's demonstrated some relevance and some efficacy, the thing that we need to do is to be able to contextualize what modality we're using when for best outcomes. And I think the thing that, that is always going to help us is, is, to test and retest that test and retest thing is super important. So like when I, when I treat a patient, I have an idea of like, I've, 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 you know, I, I come in, someone comes in with pain, I'll do an SFMA or some, or, or some similar sort of, um, evaluation, see what I think is the linchpin dysfunction, work on that particular linchpin dysfunction, either with a movement intervention or passive intervention, whatever it is. But I want to see a change in how that person moves. Or I want to hear them say like, you know, even if I can't see a visual change in how they move, if they go, that didn't hurt that time. That, that tells me a lot. Like just be willing to not necessarily complete your entire course of a treatment, but put a little bit of signal into the body, put a little bit of signal into the organism and then retest. If it jives well with them, you're going to see an improvement, even if it's minor. So then you know, okay, I'm barking up the right tree rather than like, okay, I've got a, a 15 minute window or a 30 minute window with this patient. So I'm just going to bomb them with this soft tissue. I'm going to bomb them with this corrective exercise. Or I'm going to bomb them with half kneeling. And then, and then the end of the half hour, did you, did anywhere along the line, did you test? Did you make sure like, is this the right thing for that organism? Like one of my colleagues, Bernard, um, who's one of the, the lead SFMA instructors had a great line. He goes, if you've got someone that comes into your clinic or into your, into your gym or into your facility and they're so wiped, they come in, they're like bags under their eyes. They've been working for three days straight. You know, they, they barely had a real meal. They, they certainly haven't slept well. Um, they look like, they look like, you know, something the cat dragged in. How well do you think your corrective exercise is going to stick on that nervous system? Right. The Maybe totality of everything. Right. right. I mean, if there's too much allostatic load, if there's too much noise in the system, if there's too much stress for that person to be able to handle, uh, you adding more information or you giving more cues or you pushing harder doesn't always produce a, um, 
a productive result. You know, so I, I think that's that's something that we need to honor. I mean, Bernard had a great line. He goes, if you got someone that's that fried, instead of hitting them with your God awesome corrective exercise, maybe they need a smoothie, a hug, and a nap. <laughs> right. And I thought, wow, that's that's perfect. Right. And and I like that because it it gives us this sense that we need to critically think each and every time in each and every visit with each and every patient, right? And taking it back to the individual with us personally, if we're into our workout or we're into our, our certain day, we have to adjust, be able to adapt and adjust within that time. And we can't just have like a spreadsheet and like, oh, I'm going to do six sets of 20 today. I'm just going to barrel through it and make it happen. And so, with our, you know, with, and that's what we've been trying to express to our clients and uh, over the years is is critically thinking and appraising yourself each time. You know, this whole aspect of mindfulness and training, it's more than just this sort of woo-woo thing where you're like, oh, being aware of your body, but it gives you insight into how well you're doing that day and maybe you got to back off or maybe you got to push, but each day can be a little bit different. And it, it, and it puts the onus on, on the person. You're in charge of yourself, Right. And even if you're in a ther- if you're in therapy with someone in your clinician, you need to give your clinician correct information, right? You yes. need to give them this this feeling, and you need to participate. It's and that's the we've all had that, right? We've all had patients and clients where they just want to be passive. As soon as they come in, they'll lay down on the table, and you're like, "Okay, stick some needles in me, right?" <laughs> or uh, rub rub this bit, and then it's easy to fall into that, right? You got twelve patients that day, and you're like, "Okay, maybe I'll just spend this half hour zoning out." But those are the worst sessions. Those are the worst things. They're worse for you. They're worse for the patient. You can't get anywhere, and that's what that's what you got to do. You got to engage in every every everything you do. You have to be fully present to get the best out of it. I think one of the, the things that, that we need to, to have, I think, hammered home, or at least for me, maybe I, maybe I tuned it out in school, but I think one of the things that, that I need hammered home a lot is that our job as clinicians is primarily as educators. That, you know, because, because the human body doesn't come with a, an owner's manual and because I think little kids, since we're little kids, you know, you're always taught, don't, you know, don't, don't fidget, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And while I understand it, it's that the value of, of being able to be still and control yourself in a sociological setting, I, I also think that, that unfortunately, it's not the way we were, you know, we're not made that way on a, on a genetic level. Um, so to be able to get someone to understand that their body needs to move a certain way or shouldn't feel a certain way or should feel a certain way is, is, is a big responsibility for us all to um, keep in mind as clinicians. It's, it's, it's easy to, to think, okay, I just need to get you out of pain, but to understand that a lot of people are in pain because they don't know how that their lifestyle or the things that they're doing in their movement, whether it's their mindset on training, like the no pain, no gain. I gotta, I gotta leave it all on the floor every time I work out or, you know, oh, I'm just getting old. It's supposed to hurt. Like these different kinds of mindsets, we need to educate people to understand that, no, dude, like you're getting older. Maybe you're not as fast. Maybe you're not quite as strong, but you shouldn't be in pain. Like pain is a signal that something's wrong. And, you know, let's try and deal with that. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, and in pain itself, it's just such a complex, emergent thing that to, uh, to, parse it down into this is the one thing and this is the one thing that's causing you pain. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense on the face of it. I mean, you have to look at the whole person you have to look at the thing and that's where being mindful and, and I like what you said, you have to be an educator and a lot of times you're like, oh, too much information is not good. You just got to give this person little chunks and that's true for maybe one session or maybe that part of the session but I, I really feel that the more you kind of shed light on a certain thing and then maybe you have to do it in different ways for that person to really get it you know for that client for your patient to really understand it'll take up more than your simple analogies here that maybe work for one person and they're like you say it to this one they're like oh they say they get it but you know they don't get it so you know being an educator is just is this right i mean we write all these articles we write blog posts we we do these podcasts but 
we have to provide information in so many, and I think we have to provide it in a lot of different ways so that people uh, can catch the one that really resonates with them. That's yes. what I really believe. Yes. And then I think also, too, to be able to game like our correctives or to game our, you know, like I'm realizing that fun is the one thing that makes things stick. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like Guru is fond of saying, Magdulaka Paramagaraka. Like, um, you know, you you learn through playing. Right. Absolutely. You know. And and that's the structure with him. And, and you re- I realized that uh, probably a few years into it when, and looking at his things and like, Oh, I wonder why he's doing it this way because you know, you know, if you're if you're working with this person, maybe he should do it this. And then I'm like, one one day I was like looking at the videos and I'm like looking at him smile. I'm like, oh, he's just having fun. <laughs> he's just enjoying it. That's why he's doing it. And that was a revelation in itself. I'm like, man, if I was 76, you know, this is a few years. If I was 76 years old and having this much fun doing something, man, that guy's doing something right, right? He's he's got it down. So I love that. I love the fun and enjoyment. And, and really, and that's what it is. It's the passion. What what can you enjoy every every part of your life? I mean, every part of our life is not going to be enjoyable, but if you it's something you can come back to. And uh, yeah, man, this is great. I, I wish we could talk more. I know you got to go. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, end this here. Maybe we can do this again, hopefully. I'd love that. Yeah. You know, thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. I mean, your varied background is, is just great for, for uh our listeners here and uh, I learned a lot from this session and I'm really happy we got a chance to talk. So thanks so much. It's an honor. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on this. All right, everybody, that's it for today's episode. Uh, We'll have all these links to show Mark's different web pages, his resources in our show notes. And if you have any questions, please give us a contact at info at gmb.io and and then we'll be able to answer your questions for you. Thanks a lot, Mark. And we'll see you guys later. Thank you, Jarlo. For more great info, join us over at gmb.io and be sure to check us out on iTunes and YouTube.